listening to the Coaching Academic Podcast, the podcast for coaches, leaders and academics who are interested in translating research into practice. Each episode, I discuss a brand new piece of cutting-edge research and translate the findings with suggestions of how you can incorporate the research into your practice. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca J. Jones. Now, on with today's show. Welcome to part two of episode 11, in which I discuss the final four theoretical constructs that my co-author, Dr. Gilboza, and I explore in our paper on understanding the theoretical determinants of workplace coaching effectiveness, a systematic literature review, which was published in the European Journal of Work and Organisational Psychology. The next theoretical construct we explored in our review was trust, and in particular, the level of trust between the coach and the coachee and the impact of this on coaching outcomes. The evidence from our review consistently indicates that trust in the coaching relationship is important across the studies. However, we also note that the quality of studies in this area is only moderate due to the reliance on surrogate outcomes, such as the coachee's ratings of the outcomes from coaching rather than objective measurements of outcomes. And also an absence of adequate theorising around the specific factors needed for a trusting coaching relationship. Whilst the role of trusting coaching is one of the key areas we highlight for future research, it may be applicable to translate theorising around the role of trust in leader and follower relationships to the coaching context. For example, translating the character perspective to leader-follower trust would suggest that a coachee needs to believe that they can trust their coach so that they can allow themselves to be vulnerable and transparent during coaching sessions. The implication for those wishing to build trust are that coaches need to demonstrate integrity, capability and benevolence. Therefore, coaches should consider how these characteristics can be indicated to a coachee before and during coaching. The evidence clearly suggests that confidentiality is essential in coaching. Therefore, an explicit discussion of confidentiality before the coaching starts during the contracting stage including what will or will not be disclosed to a sponsor, must be completed. This is likely to be of even greater importance when coaching is provided by an internal coach. A coach can demonstrate integrity to a coachee by the way the coach conducts themselves. For example, clearly serving the interests of the coachee and not themselves or the sponsor. Perhaps this could be achieved by recommending a flexible number of sessions rather than a fixed number of sessions. Demonstrating capability during the sessions is of course essential, however some work can be done in relation to this prior to the start of coaching in the chemistry or setup phase by providing the coachee with information on your coaching expertise and background or references from other clients. This will help to provide assurances of capability prior to the start of the session. Finally, showing benevolence may be illustrated through showing empathy and caring for the coachee and others. Now, many of these factors are things that we do in our normal practice as coaches. However, considering why we do them is also important. And these, all of these factors can help facilitate and build that trusting relationship that seems to be essential for coaching outcomes. 
The next construct we reviewed was interpersonal attraction, which suggests that individuals have a natural tendency to identify and attract with individuals who are perceived similar to themselves. It's commonly believed that a high level of interpersonal attraction, otherwise described as a good coach-coachee match or compatibility, is essential for an effective coaching relationship, which is fundamental for successful coaching outcomes. However, our review identified that the findings regarding the importance of interpersonal attraction are relatively inconsistent. We suggest that further research is needed to investigate these inconsistencies. However, in the absence of additional evidence, we would recommend that organisations do not use coach-coachee similarity as a criteria for coach selection and instead chemistry meetings are more appropriate as these meetings can help to kickstart the coaching relationship and coach-coachee trust as mentioned earlier and also help build coaching motivation. Next we explored feedback intervention theory which suggests that utilising behavioural feedback is essential to improve employee performance. Whilst it's commonly accepted that feedback is an important part of the coaching process, the findings on the impact of feedback are relatively inconsistent and the quality of studies investigating feedback and coaching is also relatively low. Again, more research in this area is needed to inform recommendations. However, my own view is that feedback and coaching are best kept as separate interventions. As giving feedback is likely to detract from the actual coaching, in addition to the fact that the coach is unlikely to be the best placed individual to provide feedback, given that they rarely have direct access to the coachee on a day-to-day -day basis. The final construct we explored is the role of supervisory support in understanding coachee effectiveness. In the context of training, supervisor support has consistently been shown to be an important variable that predicts the transfer of skills learnt in training to the workplace. Given this finding, it seems logical that having the support of one supervisor is likely to influence whether the individual will make changes to their attitudes and behaviour following coaching and have the opportunity to try out new skills within a safe environment. However, our review identified that the overall quality of studies in relation to supervisory support is relatively low and it was also one of the least frequently researched constructs within our review. Whilst more research within this area is needed, it's likely to be important that those involved in coaching ensure that the coachee has the full support of their line manager. Potentially a three-way meeting between coach, coachee and line manager at the start of the coaching process may facilitate this, along with regular updates from the coachee to the line manager on how the coaching is progressing and support they may need in order to effectively achieve their goals. Understanding how coaching produces positive outcomes for the coachee is an important and growing area of research which has specific implications for how we educate new coaches and how coaching practitioners work on a day-to-day -day basis. Our review has started to bring together some of the key findings in relation to this topic and I hope that you found this summary useful. As you can probably tell from the length of this episode, this is a lengthy paper that explores these concepts in detail. So just to remind you, in today's episode, I was discussing understanding the factors that determine workplace coaching effectiveness, a systematic literature review, which was written by myself and Dr. Gil Bozza, 
and published in the European Journal of Work and Organisational Psychology in 2018. As always, I'll include a link to the paper in the show notes. I'm Rebecca Jones. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Coaching Academic Podcast. If you're interested in reading my research, sponsoring the show, or in hiring me as a researcher, coach, or speaker, check out my website, www.rebeccajjones.co.uk. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review in iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a question you'd like me to answer in a future show, then please get in touch via my website. Finally, you can connect with me on Twitter at coach underscore research. Thanks for listening.